if we want to know whether God's plan has become more important than God's will for life, it requires that you be honest with yourself. It requires that you examine yourself. It requires sometimes asking hard questions. Hard questions. Is being right more important than loving God and loving others? Hey, it's good to see you here today, and if you're not aware, I'm not Ron Fox, okay? Yeah, and if you're visiting with us this morning, we're certainly glad to have you with us. And if you, this is your first time here, if you would, there's a green card in front of you there. We would love for you to fill that out and uh, put it in the offering plate at the end of the service so we'd have a record of your visit and know a little bit more about you. As I said, I'm not Ron Fox. He's on, uh, we had a wedding in Louisiana last night, and uh, he and Miss Tommy are going to take a few days off. He told me that... Uh, he planned on spending some time fasting and praying. Uh, then he told me that he were going on a cruise. So <clears throat> <laughs> he may be praying a little bit, but I got a feeling he's not going to do a whole lot of uh, fasting. But uh, if you would uh, pray for them that they would have a relaxing week and a good trip, and that when they get back on Sunday, uh, tell him that you missed them, okay? And after listening to me, you probably will have missed them a great deal. But if you've got your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 3 through 10 there this morning. And uh, as you turn there, as a background or as an introduction for getting started, let me remind you of, of uh, what took place in the Old Testament, the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah, there's a record of the Jews returning back to Jerusalem after being in captivity for a number of years. And they come back and they rebuild the city walls. And uh, as those walls are completed, uh, they gather together. And Ezra, the priest, gathered the Jews together. And he began to read from the, the law of Moses. And there began a six-hour worship service. And I promise you that wisdom's going to be a little bit less than that, okay? But during that worship service, four things were pretty evident that took place that day as those people worshiped together. First of all, it says that the people reverenced God. Secondly, it says they praised God. Thirdly, it says they humbled themselves before God. And fourthly, it says that they listened and they learned. And as we gather here today to worship, I pray that that, uh, that is your priority this morning, those four things, as we worship together. Oswald Chambers says this about worship. He says that worship is giving God the best that he's given you. Worship is giving God the best that he has given you. And when you think about that in Psalms chapter 68, in verse number 19, it says that blessed be the Lord, the God of our salvation, who daily loads us with benefits. Who daily loads us with benefits. Think about that, benefits. God loads us up with his goodness. He loads us up with our burdens. And so every morning, think about that. God loads us up on his shoulders and he carries us. He is our salvation. Safe and secure in Him, we've no cause for fear and worry. 
That's not easy to do because we're human. We live in the flesh sometimes. But I don't know the reason that you're here today, but I pray that at this time that you would make it a priority to reverence the Word of God, to praise God, to humble yourself before God, and to listen and to learn. And so with that in mind, let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and verses 3 through 10. Verse number 3, it says, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is, a, which is, of, is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Verse number 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I might win Christ. And be found in him, verse number 9, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing book that we call the Bible. And I pray this morning that as we open this book and as we to learn about you, that we would praise you, that we would worship you, and that we would seek to discover what you are saying to us today. And Lord, we pray as that as we leave this place, that we would live what we have learned. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we begin this morning, let me remind you, first of all, about uh, our discipleship classes uh, tonight at 5.30, okay? And tonight we'll be covering uh, Lesson 9, which talks about uh, Christians' relationships with other Christians, okay? Now, two weeks ago, we covered two books, verses 7 and 8. We talked about the will of God, and we talked about the local church. And uh, lesson seven, the will of God, is the basis for what I want to uh, talk about in, in this passage of Scripture this morning, uh, the will of God. And I'm not going to reteach lesson seven, okay? But there are some things that uh, I think that we are important as we look at this passage of Scripture. Lesson seven began by clarifying the differences between God's will for your life and God's plan for your life. And I would dare say that most Christians really haven't thought about the differences between the two. God's will for our life and God's plan for our life. And uh, God's will for your life, it concerns your spiritual development. 
God's plan for your life is your spiritual deployment. God's plan for your life is what you do. God's will for your life is how do you do what you do. Okay? And God has specific implications. God's will has specific implications for every Christian's life. There were seven things we talked about last week or two weeks ago when we looked at that. Seven implications. The first one is, is that as a Christian, God wills that you live a holy life. That was the first one that's mentioned, and I think that's the most important one. And I think that as you look through God's Word and you study God's Word, there's an order of importance in things in our lives. And the first one it says is that He, he wills that we live holy lives. And holy lives is defined in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 36 through 40. And you're familiar with that one. So in that it says that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and all thy mind. And says this is the first and great commandment. Then he follows it up with the second one. He said the like, second is, is, is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And a lot of times we... We read that and we stop right there. But did you ever stop and think or ever notice what he says right after that? What he says right after that, he says, On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. Everything else is defined, first of all, by those two things. Those two things. And then so, first of all, we're to ho live holy lives. Secondly, we are to be witnesses. It's God's will that as a Christian that we be a witness before other people. Thirdly, we're to give thanks in everything. Fourthly, you're to submit to every ordinance of man. Fifthly, you are to, not to conform to this world. Sixth, you are to serve those in authority uh, from the heart, from the heart with pure motives, as if you're serving Jesus Christ. And seven, you are to use your time wisely. God's plan, what you do in life, is to be done according to these guidelines, which are God's will for your life. Now, Lesson 7 made a statement. There's a statement in there, and listen carefully. Obedience to God's will is more important than the discovery of God's plan for your life. Did you get that? God's will is more important than the discovery of God's plan for your life. Now, here's the important question for today, and it's one of I asked in my class last Sunday night, or two weeks ago. What happens in the Christian's life when God's plan becomes more important than God's will for your life? Think about that. What happens when God's plan becomes more important to you than God's will in your life. You know, what are the results of making God's plan more of a priority than God's will? What are the consequences of making God's plan for your life more important than God's will? Well, I think here in, cha in Philippians chapter 3, uh, we have a perfect example of that. In the midst of chapter 3, as Paul's writing to the church at Philippi there, he stops to reflect upon his life. 
he's reflecting upon his life, his young life growing up as he was known as, Paul, as Saul. As he was known as Saul. And in those days, Paul was an up-and-coming Jewish leader. He was the poster child of Jewish tradition and, Old Testament co- and the Old Testament covenant and the Old Testament relationship of God with his people. And so look back at verse number 5, and we're going to look at some of the credentials that Paul lists as he was growing up. In verse number 5, it says, first of all, he says, circumcised of the eighth day of the stock of Israel. You know, why is this important? Well, it was important to the Jews because the fact it was a commandment of God to Abraham that Jewish males be circumcised on the eighth day. Every Jewish male was. And it, so if Paul is making clear that, that he was not an Ishmaelite, Ishmael, as you remember, was Abraham's oldest son. And uh, he was, uh, an Ishmaelite was the, the descendant of Ishmael. And they were circumcised at the age of 13. So Paul is telling these church at Philippi to us that he was, he was uh, uh, established, he's established the faith, he was born into the Jewish faith and known for its privileges and observed uh, its ceremonies ever since he was born. Secondly, notice, he says that I was born of the stock of Israel. Again, that was very important to those Jews. When Jews wanted to stress their, spe- their special relationship to God, they used the word Israelite. Israel was the name that was specifically given to God, by God to Jacob. To Jacob. That happened after Jacob had been wrestling with God. And it was from Israel, or it was from Jacob, that the Jews traced their heritage. They wanted to disassociate themselves from Jacob's brother, who was Esau, and that's the Edomite. They also wanted to disassociate themselves again from Ishmael, who was the son of Hagar. By calling himself an Israelite, Paul stressed the absolute purity of his descent. Notice the next thing there. He said of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only was Paul an Israelite, he was uh, belonged to the elite of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin was the aristocracy uh, of the nation of Israel. Benjamin, if you recall, he was the the child of Rachel, the much-loved wife of Jacob. In fact, the tri- uh, Benjamin was the only one of the 12 sons of Jacob that was born in the promised land. This was also the priestly tribe of Israel. The first king of Israel was Saul. And guess, Saul was named after King Saul. And uh, the, uh, the tribe of Benjamin held many places of honor in the history of Israel. And so when Paul says he's a member of the tribe of Benjamin, he's saying that he belonged to the highest aristocratic family of Israel. It was much like saying that uh, he was, was related to George Washington or related to Abe Lincoln or the Bass family of Fort, uh, Fort Worth or Bill Gates or heaven forbid, even the Senate family. You know, he says, this, <laughs> it, it, he belonged to the elite family. Paul claims that he was a God-fearing, law-observing, 
Jew, that his lineage was as pure as the Jewish lineage could be, and he belonged to the most aristocratic tribe of the Jews. So Paul's been talking about his privileges uh, by birth. And now then Paul begins talking about his achievements in the Jewish faith. Notice again verse 5. He says, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In the history of the Jews, you'll find Jews all over the world. And uh, particularly, this, the scattering of the Jews took place particularly after the uh, fall of Israel to ba- under the Babylonian captivity. Uh, basically, the city of Jerusalem was laid waste, the nation of Israel disappeared, and the Jews were scattered everywhere. And, uh, but, uh, and so in almost every town that you could go to or every city that you went to in the world, there were Jews there. When Paul was in prison there in Rome and writing this letter to the church at Philippi, there were thousands of Jews in Rome. In Alexandria, Egypt, there were over a million Jews at the time that Paul's writing this letter. And these Jews that lived in these various places, they were faithful to their religion, they were faithful to their culture, they were faithful to their laws, and they were faithful to their holidays. However, these Jews, as they were living in other parts of the world, they had to do business with the people that they were associated with. And as a result, many times they learned the language of that particular culture. And many of these Jews forgot how to speak their Jewish language. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, not me. I can speak the Jewish language of the best of them. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. No one can do better than I can. Next thing, notice in verse number 5, he says, as touching the law, a Pharisee, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious leaders who were responsible for the legal interpretation of the Old Testament law in Judaism. And there were never many Pharisees. Somebody has estimated there were only about 6,000 Pharisees. And these, uh, these were the spiritual athletes of Judaism. If you're looking in the world of athletes, maybe a LeBron James type. If you want to look in the legal part, Paul was a, was a super lawyer. You know, he was the Jim Adler, the Texas Hammer of his day. You know, Jim Adler's going to nail or hide to the wall. Well, Paul's, he didn't use a hammer. I think his uh, method of operation was a box of rocks. You remember he was holding the cloak when Stephen was stoned? I mean, this was Paul. He was the super lawyer, so to speak. The Pharisees were highly trained individuals. If you want to uh, use the military's example, he was a, a Navy SEAL or a special ops type person. And so Paul says, I was a trained Pharisee. I lived a separate life. I separated myself from all common life and all common tasks in order to make sure that he kept the smallest detail of the Jewish lifestyle. Next thing in verse number 6, he says, concerning zeal persecuting the church. To the Jews, zeal was the greatest quality that you could have in your religious life as far as Judaism is concerned. Paul was a fanatic. He was zealous. He was so fanatical and so zealous that he tried to wipe out any opposition to Judaism. Judaism. 
And at that time in Judaism, what was the greatest threat to, 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 to Jewish? It was the church. The church by Jesus Christ. And Paul was living his life trying to wipe out the church. He saw Jesus Christ as a false prophet. Next thing, notice in verse number 6. He says, touching righteousness under the law. Paul says, I'm blameless. I was blameless. Under the law, Paul says, there's nothing that he didn't fulfill in the law. He had a record that no Pharisee or any other Jew could match. Paul had every right to be proud of himself. He had every right to be proud of the success that he had achieved, and his future was bright in regard to Judaism. Paul, with great passion, did his best to fulfill what he felt was God's plan for his life. What's the problem? The problem is that God, what Paul perceived, or Saul perceived, was God's plan for his life had become so important and it wasn't any longer God's plan for his life. It was his plan for his life. That's what the problem is. It become more important than God's will and God's plans for his life. But then something changed. One day on the road to Damascus to go arrest some Christians, Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And everything changed. You know, the reality of it is every person who's ever born into this world is going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. The question is this morning, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? If you have, what was the result of that? Did you accept Him as Lord and Savior? Have you rejected Him? Or do you have it on hold? I pray that everyone here has encountered Jesus and asked Him to be Lord and Savior of their life, but if you haven't, pray that today would be that particular day. But Paul had an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus that day. And that encounter changed everything. That changed everything. You see, because of Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ, he realized that what he thought was God's plan for his life had changed from God's plan to his plan. He realized that he loved his plan more than he loved God. And that's the great danger in that. You begin to love the plan more than you love God. If you go back and you look at those verses of Scripture, in verse number 4, Paul now refers to that plan as living in the flesh. In verse number 9, he refers to it as living in his own righteousness. And then in verse number 8, where I'm going to camp out for just a moment, he calls it dung. Now, some translations use the word garbage. Some translations use the word filth. Uh, some translations use the word rubbish. I chose to use the King James Version this morning. Of dung. Dung is what? Poop. <laughs> and so I'm going to spend a moment or two talking about poop. You know, uh, 
my mother's been in heaven a long time. Cheryl's mother is, has been in heaven for a long time. And I guess that they're among the great crowd of witnesses in heaven this morning, walking down, looking down, and, and uh, I can see my mother turning to Cheryl's mother, and she's saying, Miss Fain, and my mother's a lot older than Cheryl's mother, but if you got to know my mother, that's the way she talks. She'd say, Miss Fain, is he talking about poop in the middle of church? <laughs> they would be so proud. But uh, I think it's interesting that he used that term. I see strange things in Scripture. But how many of you have small house dogs? Anybody? Yeah, some of you do. We've got one in our house. Cheryl's got a, uh, a house dog. I'm not going to tell you what breed since we're talking about poop this morning. But uh, because of those little house dogs, occasionally you've got to take them outside, right? You've got to take them outside to do their business. And do you ever watch them when you take those dogs outside? Yeah, they got to go out there, and you know, especially if you're in a hurry, it's going to take them forever, it seems like, to get down to business. But when they get down to business and they finally do their job, finish their pooping, what do they do? I don't know about yours, but ours makes a circle and turns around and inspects what they've done. Sometimes they do some other things, but they turn around and they inspect what they've done, and you can look on that dog's face. I mean, they're so proud, you know. And after they get to inspecting what they've done, what they do is they run back to the house, and they, you know, they want to be praised and they want a treat. But you know what? People are not a whole lot different. They, they're really not. You know, we're fortunate we've got a, several families that have newborn babies. And you know, when there's a newborn baby, that's right if they're born, their parents and relatives and friends are so excited. And what's the first thing to happen? I mean, there are people who line up to change that baby's diaper. Am I right? I mean, you got people who, want, who fight to go over and change that baby's diaper. And... Uh, Everybody's so excited to go change that poopy, poopy diaper. And then about, and yeah, John's been doing that for a couple, yeah. But you know, the ironic thing is about three or four days later, I don't know, God sneaks up in the middle of the night and somehow or another he puts smell in that mess. And then you don't want to find anybody who wants to change that diaper. So the question is, what's the purpose of this poopy discussion here? And, uh, well, here's, here's the application. You know, when God's plan, and Paul says it, that's exactly what he says about his plan. It's a pile of poop. We look at all of his credentials, things he's accomplished, and he says, after he meets Jesus, has an encounter with Jesus, he says, it's nothing but poop. Here's the application. When God's plan for your life becomes more important than God's will for your life, many times it's no longer His plan, it's your plan. And, uh, you know, we get so caught up in that plan, and we begin passionate about it, and there's nothing wrong with being passionate about what you do in life. And whatever you do in life and whatever you do for God, you ought to do it with great passion. 
uh, be careful that you don't cross the line. Because when we cross the line, we get passionate about it, and we think about all the things that we've done, and we think about the things that we've accomplished, and we're like the little dog. We're out in the yard, and, and he's laid one, and he turns around, and he's so proud of it. And we're so proud of what we've done. And we want to be congratulated, and we want to be praised for what we've accomplished. And then what happens when there's a crisis in life? What happens when there's a problem in life? What happens when there's a problem in all those things that you've been so excited about that you thought were God's plan is really your plan? All of a sudden it begins to smell, doesn't it? Just like that baby's poopy diaper. Begins to smell. So the question becomes this morning. If we're concerned about that, if we want to make sure that God's plan for our life is His plan, then first of all, we've got to make sure that we're living according to God's will in those seven things that we uh, covered in, in Lesson 7 of our discipleship classes. So, we need to examine ourselves this morning. If we want to know whether God's plan has become more important than God's will for life, it requires that, we, that you be honest with yourself. It requires that you examine yourself. It requires sometimes asking, asking hard questions. Hard questions. You know, is, it, is being right more important than loving God and loving others? Is doing things my way more important than loving God and loving others? You know, Paul is writing to Christians at Philippi. Is this my ministry, or is it God's ministry? Are you more concerned about being right than doing the right thing? Are you more concerned about yourself than you are about others? Are you more concerned about what's fair? And You've heard me say this before. Be careful about hanging around with people who are be concerned about life being fair. Because life ain't fair. Instead of being more concerned about being fair, we need to be concerned about living holy lives. Living a righteous life. Are you more interested in promoting yourself than promoting God and His church? Self-promotion. And again, how do, you, how do you know that? Well, one of the things keywords look for is look out for people or look out for yourself where you're concerned about my. My. And hey, don't get me wrong. We all say my this or my that. But is it my class or is it our class? Is it my church or is it our church? Is it my group or is it our group? Is it my whatever or is it our whatever? Are you more interested in being popular than loving God and loving others and ministering to others? Are you more interested in the latest and greatest than you are about loving God and loving others? 
Are you more interested in being cool or hip or whatever the term is we use this day and time than you are about loving God and loving people? Are you more interested in what's new and what's modern and what's greatest than you are about loving God and other people? You know, tonight's discipleship class is going to be talking about Christians and their relationship to other Christians. And when you think about that, and it kind of alludes to it in one part of the lesson tonight, but when God's plan becomes more important than God's will, and then it migrates on down to becoming your plan, it affects our relationship with other people. And in particular, it, it will refl uh, affect your relationship with other Christians. I was thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, you know, it talks about a man from Jericho who's on the road and he gets attacked and he gets beaten up and he winds up in the ditch. And the next thing you know that there's a priest that walks by and he just ignores the guy in the ditch. talks about the Levite who walks by and just ignores the guy in the ditch. You know, when God's plan becomes more important than God's will, and then it becomes our plan. You know, maybe the person in the ditch is a fellow Christian. What if that Christian doesn't act like you? What if that other Christian doesn't worship like you? What if that other Christian doesn't believe like you? Are we like the Levite and the priest where we just walk on by? You know, we talked about the seven things that are in God's will. First of all is to love other people. You know, to live holy lives. To love God, love other people, to serve other people. And then down through the, the rest of the list. So the question becomes this morning, where are you in your relationship to God? And so as we begin to prepare for the invitation this morning, I would encourage you uh, to examine yourself. It's a time of examination. And so if you would, uh, let's bow for prayer and, and uh, ask yourself some questions this morning. You know, how are you in your relationship with God today? Is God your top priority? Is God's will your top, top priority in your life? Is God's will more important than God's plan for your life? If not, I would encourage you to take this time this morning to renew your priorities and your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you may be here this morning and you've never had that encounter with Jesus Christ. And you never had that life-changing experience. If that's the case, I pray that this morning this would be the time that you would ask Him to be the Lord of your life and to commit to living His will for your life and seeking His plan for your life. So let's pray. Father, we thank You for this Lord's Day and for this group of people that you brought together this morning. And we pray, the Father, that as we examine our own lives, that your will would be done in our lives, and that as we leave this place this morning, that we would live 
the principles that you've laid down in your word before other people and with our relationship with other Christians. Father, forgive us where we failed you. Father, we just ask all these things in Jesus' name.